Hello, and welcome to the Chest Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Dominique Pepper. On behalf of Chess, I'd like to welcome you to this month's Chess Podcast. My name is Dominique Pepper, and I'm the host of the Chess Podcast section. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be a really informative discussion on procalcitonin-guided antibiotic prescription. Today, as our guest, we are very fortunate to have uh, Dr. Lisa Hessels, um, and she's the first author of this publication. Lisa, can you introduce yourself? Yes, of course. And uh, first of all, thank you very much for having me on the podcast today. And I'm also very looking forward to a great discussion. Uh, so my name is uh, Lisa Hessels. I'm currently working as a resident and research physician at the Pulmonology Department of the Northwest Clinics in Alkmaar. And this is in the Netherlands. Um, and this is also the hospital where the study we are talking about today took place. Uh, but I'm also working as a PhD candidate in the research group of infectious disease epidemiology of the University Medical Center in Utrecht. Uh, and my research focus is uh, respiratory tract infections. And it's a pleasure to have, the pod- have you on the podcast with us. So Lisa, today we'll be discussing antibiotic prescription in patients with COVID-19. We had a massive pandemic where um, a lot of patients were admitted to the hospital and it was very challenging at times to decide whether or not patients needed antibiotics. So you went ahead and performed the study. Uh, maybe you could give us the rationale as to why you did this study. Uh, yes, of course. So um, at our pulmonology department, uh, we uh, have a lot of attention for antibiotic stewardship already, and we've performed a lot of previous research into this topic. So for the last couple of years, also pre-pandemic, we already uh, increasingly started using PCT as guidance for antibiotic prescriptions in patients with, for example, influenza and RSV or other respiratory tract infections that are not clearly bacterial pneumonia. Um, and uh, the reasoning for using PCT as guidance for antibiotic therapy is that uh, PCT is an inflammatory marker um, similar to uh, CRP, but it's more specifically for bacterial infection. So in the case of bacterial infection, uh, PCT synthesis increases, but this is not so much the case for in uh, viral infection. And for this reason, PCT is considered to be more sensitive and specific marker for bacterial infection as opposed to CRP. Uh, Then came the start of the COVID-19 pandemic in the beginning of 2020, as you already said. And I think in the beginning, everyone was a little bit unsure what was the best way to treat COVID-19 patients. So I think in the first few months of the pandemic, we just basically gave everyone antibiotic therapy. And I think this was worldwide also uh, pretty much the case. But after a while, it became more clear that the number of bacterial co-infections in COVID-19 patients is actually quite low. It occurs around only 8% of hospitalized patients. And this is much less than, for example, in influenza patients. And around that same time, the Dutch Working Party on Antibiotic Policy also released a statement to be more restrictive with antibiotic use. But then we saw in practice that it was still quite difficult because the COVID-19 patients in the hospital were often quite ill with quite high inflammatory markers like CRP. Uh, So this was the time where we started thinking maybe we can also implement a PCT-guided protocol for 
uh, antibiotic prescription in COVID-19 patients. So we can have a little bit more guidance on which patients we can actually be restrictive with antibiotic use and uh, in which patients uh, we should not be that restrictive. So uh, since there was no real evidence of this in the literature yet, we uh, decided to perform this study. Great. And maybe for audience, you could let us know, you know, what's so bad about continuing antibiotics for such a long time? We have some physicians who are like, you know what, I I just give two weeks of antibiotics, um, even if I'm a little bit concerned because, you know, sepsis is very deadly. I don't want patients to die. What uh, is the rationale um, for not giving prolonged antibiotics and making sure that you give uh, the right patients the right antibiotics? Yeah, so of course, I uh, do understand those physicians because uh, for uh, sometimes it's a little bit hard to really um, tell yourself, well, for this patient, this has a beneficial use to shorten the duration of antibiotics. But of course, there are some side effects to antibiotics like diarrhea or uh, allergic reactions. Uh, but we do know that uh, antibiotic resistance also uh, increases quite uh, shortly after start of antibiotic prescription sometimes. So those patients have a higher risk of acquiring hospital acquired infections. Uh, but I think most importantly, it's important on a population level. So if we all say we want to treat our patients uh, with l- a longer duration of antibiotics and every physician in the world says this, then we are going to get a problem with antibiotic resistance. And so we have to be a little bit more restrictive in antibiotic use. Um, So I think that's the main reason to be a little bit more cautious and not overuse antibiotics if not necessary. Gotcha. And then what would be the uh, benefits or harms of using procalcitonin as a marker? Um, Some have alluded to the fact uh, of of the cost of doing the testing, uh, the reliability, the turnover. Um, What do clinicians need to be aware of uh, about procalcitonin monitoring? Yeah, so of course, um, there is a little bit of cost associated with procalcitonin uh, testing. I think if you have it implemented well in your hospital like it is in our hospital it's actually not that expensive and i think then it can be compared to the cost of uh, prolonged antibiotic duration so then the costs are a little bit similar so i don't think the cost is actually not the reason to use procalcitonin i think it's uh, the main yeah the main benefit of using procalcitonin is uh, to have an extra a marker that can tell you, um, is there actually a bacterial infection in my patients or not? Because it can be quite difficult. Uh, for example, in the COVID-19 patients, there are often uh, infiltrates seen on the chest x-ray. So that doesn't tell you a lot. And then CRP can be quite high in the COVID-19 patients, um, certainly when they're quite ill. So that doesn't tell you a lot. So it can be an extra marker to tell you uh, is there a bacterial infection present or not? And then, of course, the main drawback is if it's not as sensitive and specific as we think it is, am I going to withheld antibiotics in a patient that is really needing it? That's, of course, the main, I think, the main fear of many physicians. True. And then uh, there have been numerous studies on procalcitonin that preceded COVID-19. Maybe you could just give us a a summation of those findings, and then we'll jump into your study after that. 
Yeah, so I think there are indeed a couple of um, uh, studies that investigated the use of procalcitonin in, well, um, if we're talking about uh, respiratory tract infections, mainly there are, all, are also some uh, studies that investigate the use of procalcitonin in, uh, for example, uh, general sepsis patients or general uh, patients as the ER. Um, but I think mostly the studies um, focusing on respiratory tract infections uh, show that using a PCT-guided protocol uh, actually reduces the amount of antibiotic therapy prescribed in those patients, and it also seems to be safe in these patients. So in respiratory tract infections, uh, the results of the largest RCTs uh, conclude uh, that uh, a PCT-guided antibiotic protocol can be used to uh, prescribe antibiotics. Great. Okay, so let's turn to your study. Uh, this is a very complicated time, as you said, and we weren't certain if patients were um, uh, dying or really sick from just the COVID or uh, additional bacterial infections. Um, so you did the study. What were your study aims and what were your study methods? Yeah, so uh, the most important question in our study was, uh, does the use of procalcitonin-guided antibiotic protocol reduce the a use of antibiotics in hospitalized patients with COVID-19 infections? And then, of course, we also wanted to look into, uh, is it also safe to use this protocol in patients with COVID-19? So are the hospital uh, outcomes still the same, um, even when there is a reduction in antibiotic prescription? Um, so, and as you mentioned, it was a little bit of a difficult time. Uh, so, um, uh, what we did is we uh, uh, conducted a multicenter cohort study of hospitalized COVID patients, and um, we compared three groups of patients. So, um, in our own hospital, uh, we had a prospective group of patients, and these patients received antibiotic therapy based on the procalcitonin guided protocol. And so this was in a hospital in Alkmaar. And then we compared this group to a retrospective group of patients from the same hospital. But in these patients, no procalcitonin was uh, taken at admission. Um, and we also compared it to a retrospective group of patients from three other hospitals in the Netherlands. And these hospitals do not use PCT for prescribing antibiotic therapy. Um, so we used the PCT algorithm, and that was also uh, used in uh, previous RCTs in um, respiratory tract infections. And this algorithm basically says that when your uh, PCT at admission is above 0.5 micrograms per liter, then uh, it's very likely that uh, that a bacterial infection is present, so you should prescribe antibiotics. And when it's below 0.25 micrograms per liter, then... Um, and uh, bacterial infection is considered to be absent and uh, no antibiotics should be, be described. Um, and in between, there is a little bit of a gray area where the decision is uh, basically left to the treating physician. Um, so we use this protocol as well in our uh, group of COVID-19 patients. And um, we asked all the physicians to use this protocol, but they were able to deviate from the protocol if they felt it was necessary for some kind of reason. But then they had to provide the reason. So we also checked that. Um, and so to uh, compare the results of these groups, so the antibiotic um, prescription results, but also the outcomes, we used uh, a group of patients from the same hospital. But these patients did not have their PCT measured at admission. Because as you can imagine, um, since there is a pandemic going on, there are many uh, physicians that 
were not previously working at the pulmonology department were involved in COVID-19, uh, treating COVID-19 patients. So it was quite difficult to get everyone involved. So some patients slipped through and we used them as a control group. Uh, but to make a better comparison, we also used uh, the data from patients from uh, three other hospitals. So these hospitals did not have PCT available or did not use it really. Um, and we compared the data from these patients and, and this was collected in a big retrospective database. Uh, and this database was a collaboration of 11 hospitals in the Netherlands that was set up uh, at the beginning of the pandemic to collect uh, all data of hospitalized COVID-19 patients. Uh, so that was also a really nice cooperation with all uh, kinds of different centers. Um, and then to compare the antibiotic use, we first looked into the proportion of patients using antibiotics during the first seven days of admission, since this is most probably the most related to the PCT level at admission, and then um, to see whether these differences still remain during the total admission, we also looked into to the proportion of patients receiving antibiotics during the total duration of admission. Um, and then we also uh, looked at the protocol adherence in the PCT guided group, uh, but also to the amount of protocol failure. And this uh, we defined as starting antibiotics within seven days of initially withholding antibiotics based on the PCT results. Um, and then, of course, we also wanted to see, well, uh, if there is actually a reduction in antibiotic therapy, are the in-hospital outcomes of the three groups uh, still the same? So we looked at the mortality, intensive care admissions, mechanical ventilation, and the number of readmissions, um, with the hypothesis that if the PCT-guided algorithm is safe to use, that there would, be not, would not be a difference in the outcomes between the three groups. So okay. that's basically it. Great. Uh, so let's jump into your key findings. So um, you did the study, you compared um, it within your own hospital two groups, and then you had a comparison group in three separate hospitals. Uh, what did you find, um, and how do you interpret that? Yeah, so uh, to jump to the conclusion, we did see a significant reduction of antibiotic use in the PCT-guided group. Um, and the proportion of antibiotics pre prescribed in the first seven days of admission was 26.8% uh, in the PCT-guided group. And then when we compare it to uh, the non-PCT-guided group in our home, own hospital, this was 43.9%, and uh, it was 44.7% in the other hospitals. So there's quite a difference there. Um, and of course, because... It is a cohort study and there were some baseline differences. We also um, did a multivariate logistic regression. Um, and uh, then we also saw that adjusted odds ratio for antibiotic use uh, in the PCT guided group uh, was a lot lower. So uh, 0.33 compares uh, to the same hospital and 0.42 uh, compares to the other hospitals, and the upper bound was around uh, 0.6 in both groups. So it's quite a convincing reduction in antibiotic therapy. Um, so, and then in conclusion, we saw that uh, the reduction of uh, antibiotic therapy was around 70%, 17% in the PCT guided protocol group. So we can actually say quite confidently that the PCT-guided protocol uh, reduces the amount of antibiotic therapy prescribed. 
And then when we looked at the uh, antibiotic prescription during the total admission, we did see that the numbers uh, became a little bit closer together with um, 35.2% of patients receiving antibiotic therapy during the total admission in the PCT guidance group and 43.9% of patients in the non-PCT guidance group of the same hospital and 45% of patients in the other hospital groups are receiving antibiotic therapy. So it's a little bit closer together. And then we were thinking, well, uh, what's the reason for that? And I think it's because uh, uh, a lot of the patients, around 10%, were admitted to the intensive care. And those patients had a prolonged admission duration. And they were also often treated with antibiotic therapy for hospital-acquired infections. And these infections are, of course, not really related to the PCT at admission anymore. And we did not do a sequential PCT. So it's quite explainable that the difference between these groups is smaller when looking at the total duration of admission. Uh, but there is still, uh, even though it's not really significantly different in all of the groups, it, there is still a tendency that the uh, antibiotic therapy during the total admission is still lower in the PCT guided group. Um, and then um, we, like I explained, we also looked at in-hospital outcomes um, and we saw that the median length of stay was six days in all three groups and the 30-day and 90-day mortality showed no significant differences. And there, were all, there was also no significant difference in the odds of ICU admission or the odds of mechanical ventilation. So those outcomes are actually really uh, comparable. Uh, the only outcome where we did see a difference was the number of readmissions. So the number of readmissions was higher in the PCT guided group. Um, but the number of readmissions was also higher in the non-PCT guided group of our hospital. So actually, I'm a little bit afraid to say that this might reflect more on our hospital policy than really on the PCT guided protocol because our hospital just did worse in comparison to the other hospitals in general, so uh, with regards to readmission. Um, so, um, and we also looked into the reason of readmission in the PCT guidance group, and two of 15 readmissions were listed at hospital acquired pneumonia as reason for readmission. So most readmissions were actually related to non-infectious causes, so could not be prevented by uh, prescribing antibiotics anyway. So based on these outcomes, we concluded there is no reason to believe that the outcomes of hospitalized COVID-19 patients are worse when antibiotics are prescribed with a PCT-guided protocol. Gotcha. So the, the, the finding is intriguing because um, uh, per your procalcitonin-guided algorithm, the goal was to reduce the amount of antibiotics, and you achieved that. However, there doesn't seem to be much translation into benefits of patients with regards to survival, duration of hospitalization, side effects. What would you say to that if, if a reviewer said, you know, um, I, I want this uh, protocol to actually benefit my patients and see benefit? Um, why do you think you didn't see that benefit? Is it just that the study numbers were too small or um, is there no real finding? Or what did you attribute that to? Well, I actually did not really expect a benefit with regards to in-hospital outcomes, uh, mainly because uh, I think the, the outcomes in COVID-19 patients are really determined by the need for respiratory care, the need for mechanical ventilation, 
um, and not so much uh, by the presence of a bacterial co-infection or not. So um, I think it's quite, I think the main goal was to uh, reduce the amount of antibiotics and to keep the outcomes the same, but I uh, would not really expect the outcomes to improve because, well, that's that's just uh, the the disease COVID nineteen itself is already uh, something that's uh, that can lead to uh, quite worse outcomes. So, um, and I think, well, then the question is, well. Uh, what's actually the benefit? And I think the benefit of this is reducing the amount of antibiotic um, resistance. And that is something that requires indeed a lot larger sample size, maybe even on population level to be studied. Uh, but that's not really something we can uh, really confirm with the study. So unfortunately, but we did. Uh, so it is a little bit of the amount of antibiotic therapies, of course, a little bit of a proxy for um, the burden of uh, for uh, antibiotic resistance. Gotcha. So uh, some might push back and say, well, th this is kind of the issue um, with some of these studies where um, they're always too small to actually look at the bigger picture of antibiotic resistance, but they always show that you decrease antibiotic use. Do you think we're ever going to have a study that actually addresses this really important question as to whether um, there is a decrease in antibiotic resistance with the use of procalcitonin? Well, I don't really... Um, I don't really think so because it does require a really large sample size to really prove that the antibiotic resistance is decreased when you use procalcitonin as prescription for antibiotic use. But I think there are quite a lot of population-based studies that show that um, when the amount of antibiotic prescription is higher in, for example, a country, then the antibiotic resistance rates are also higher. So um, I think it would be a little bit, uh, yeah, I think we are quite confident in the fact that uh, a higher antibiotic prescription rates leads to higher antibiotic resistance. So I'm not sure if it, for me personally, I'm not sure if it is really necessary to investigate that in a study like this. Gotcha. And then um, can you just tell us, uh, so when did your test for the procalcitonin? Was it within the first week of uh, admission? Because one thing that struck us uh, when we were taking care of patients with, with COVID is that most of them didn't seem to have a bacterial infection in that first week, but sometimes in their second or third week of hospitalization, especially if they were on the ventilator, they would get a, a secondary bacterial infection or ventilator-associated pneumonia, and they would grow pseudomonas or serratia or E. coli. Was it procalcitonin um, just for the initial week of hospitalization, or did it actually extend uh, to the later parts of hospitalization when they could have had a secondary bacterial infection? Yeah, so in this study, we only looked into uh, procalcitonin taken within the first 24 hours of admission, so mostly uh, at the emergency department, um, and then the description of antibiotics. Uh, but you are, of course, right uh, that uh, patients may develop bacterial infections later in the course of their disease, and uh, indeed, especially when they're in the intensive care unit, uh, on mechanical in, uh, ventilation or when they have uh, lines. Uh, 
and so they can get a Lyme infection. And uh, then it would be really interesting to see if you can also use procalcitonin in those moments of time, but that's not what we investigated in this study, unfortunately, because I would really like to see the answer to that. Yeah, definitely agree. It, it was a, a useful adjunct in that situation, but uh, uh, as you said, there was very little data out there, and as, uh, this is one of the first studies that we discussing the use of procalcitonin. Um, Lisa, there are no perfect studies. Uh, what do you want our audience to be aware of in terms of limitations of this study? You already alluded to the fact that this was retrospective, um, and then you had uh, controls um, that weren't perfectly matched. What other um, uh, limitations do you want our audience to be aware of? Yeah, so um, indeed, like uh, like you said, it was partly retrospective. And of course, uh, if you really want to uh, study this uh, with the less, uh, less amount of bias as possible, you need to perform an RCT. But unfortunately, at the time of the COVID pandemic, we did not really have the resources and the staff available to actually carry out an RCT. So that's why we did it in this way. Um, but the limitation of our design is that there is a risk of bias because the, the procalcitonin group we included was actually prospectively enrolled. So we asked all patients for informed consent. And for the retrospective database, uh, this was not always the case. So there is a little bit of a difference in enrolling patients there. Uh, so this may cause selection bias because, of course, it's not always really easy to ask informed consent to a patient that is uh, critically ill. Uh, so there might be less uh, critically ill patients in the PCT guidance group. And then also because of the retrospective nature, we were not uh, able to really uh, see the dose and the exact duration of antibiotic therapy of each uh, patient, mainly in the other hospitals. Um, so that might also cause some, um, yeah, some information bias because it's not always um, it may lead to a little bit of uh, under-representation or over-representation of antibiotic use in that group. So, yeah, the, the design of the study introduces some bias, and we did our best to correct for that with a multivariate analysis. But, of course, it's not always totally possible to uh, exclude all bias with, uh, with analysis afterwards. Uh, so there will still be some bias left in our results. Um, and then uh, another limitation is, um, well, I actually saw you uh, published a meta-analysis in chess before about procalcitonin-guided antibiotic discontinuation in and mortality in critically ill adults. And uh, one of the points you also mentioned in your meta-analysis was that um, 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 the, the effect on survival remains uncertain because uh, the studies are uh, often not powered for mortality. And that was actually also the same in our study because we powered on our primary outcome, which was antibiotic use, but we, not, we did not power for survival. And uh, we did not see any significant differences in mortality between the groups. And it even seems like the mortality in the PCT guide group is a little bit lower, but it it's not significantly different. And uh, because we did not power for the survival, the confidence around these estimates are a little bit broader. So then I think I have to agree with you that it, the actual effect remains a little bit uncertain. So, yeah, there are some uh, limitations to our study that readers uh, need to be aware of. 
Yeah, I think I really appreciate you mentioning uh, those limitations. And I think this is one of the issues we face. I mean, everyone knows that in the intensive care unit, it's really difficult to make a decision as to whether this patient truly has a bacterial infection or not. And the fact that folks are looking at procalcitonin means that they're trying to find an answer, and it's difficult and it's tough. And, uh, you, and uh, we're trying the best that we can, but um, we just need to acknowledge that sometimes the data isn't always exactly where we want it to be. Um, Lisa, you've been very generous with your time and really applaud you and your team for actually taking the time to investigate this through a very busy um, uh, period uh, during COVID-19. Um, what do you want our audience to be aware of um, in terms of the take-home message about your study? How does your study advance our understanding of using procalcitonin uh, when making decisions about um, antibiotics in uh, COVID-19 patients? Uh, well, uh, thank you very much. Um, yeah, so to my knowledge, this is the first study really evaluating a PCT-guided uh, protocol in COVID-19 patients, and we have shown that PCT-guided protocol reduces antibiotic prescription in hospitalized patients, and it does seem like the outcomes of the COVID-19 patients are unchanged, confirming that it's effective and also safe to use the PCT-guided protocol. And I think this is a really important uh, point because we have um, indeed seen a, quite a lot of previous studies about procalcitonin guided antibiotic prescription in patients with respiratory tract infections with good results, but those were all pre-COVID area. And right now we are not really in a pandemic phase of COVID-19 anymore, but it's still circulating around and we are coming to a situation where there are no lockdown measures anymore and COVID-19 is circulating, but also influenza, RSV, and also bacterial pathogens like streptococcus pneumonia. So now it's really interesting to know, like, are the, all the results of those previous studies still usable in a time where COVID-19 is just one of the uh, circulating pathogens around? And I think th uh, the answer to that question based on the results of our studies is yes, uh, and that we can also use PCT guided prescription in patients with COVID-19. So I think that's our conclusion. Perfect. Um, for our audience, uh, we discussed um, the article entitled uh, Procalcitonin-Guided Antibiotic Prescription in Patients with COVID-19, a Multisense Observational Cohort Study. A very big thank you uh, to Dr. Lisa Hessels uh, for a really great conversation. And a big thank you to our chess community for joining us. I'm Dominic Pepper, and this is a chess podcast.